offense is going to lead to death or life. Even this offense here, we have to respond to it properly. We have to respond to this offense properly if it's going to take its course of life. It's how I deal with it. No matter if it's a negative or a positive, it's how we deal with it. Now, the first week we started talking about offense, we talked about that we were going to ask a number of questions. And this is one of the questions we asked a few weeks ago, and that is this. Was Jesus ever offensive? Did Jesus ever offend people? I thought Jesus was love. I thought Jesus was meek and mild and just full of love. How do, how do people that love offend well, the worldly definition of Jesus is this. He's a meek little guy. In fact, you've seen the pictures, the paintings. He, he's so weak and he's so skinny and frail that he doesn't look like he can even defend himself against a fly. I mean, he is just, he's almost feminine in his appearance. Have you not seen that? But I'll tell you, that is not the Christ that was the carpenter's son. No carpenter's son grows up that way. And, and the, the reason that Jesus came to this earth was not to be a weak, frail little person that, we, that, that many times the world has classified him as. Jesus was a strong man, full of vigor, full of life, abundant in everything he did. And he had to be that way because the message that he was bringing needed to be delivered by a strong person. He was bringing a message from God that was going to reverse and change the whole direction of humankind. And no message like that was going to be delivered by a skinny little frail guy. No, this was a man's man. This was the man that you wanted to be like. Even though he took on an appearance that no one would appeal to when he was whipped and beaten on the cross, but in his manhood, he was a man. No, make no mistake about it, that, that when Satan, listen to this, when, sta- when Satan was given the keys to this world so many thousands of years ago by Adam and Eve, that when Satan was given the keys because of their sin, because of, the, of their disobedience, Satan made every effort to make the worldly system that he was now control over 100% totally against God. He totally twisted everything that God had created for good, and Satan twisted it for evil. And so that now, so many thousand years later, we have thousands of years of twisted theology, thousands of years of twisted lies and deception that the enemy has been spinning. And then Jesus comes on the the, the, the scene, and now he's got to correct it. He's got to say, hold it up, guys. That's not the way it's going to be here from now. A new sheriff in town. And no little man, no little sheriff is going to correct that thing without a fight. So Jesus, the message, the message of God that Jesus was bringing was going to be offensive to the world system because it was totally contrary to what it was. The system was built on a bunch of laws, a bunch of good things that God had established, but man had even taken those and from the few laws that God gave, man created 666 other laws that had to be fulfilled to try to please God. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, guys, listen, I want to change your thoughts. I want to change your philosophies. I want to change your understanding of who my Father in heaven really is. He loves you, but he comes with some strict rules. Are you ready? It was a strong message. And he was a strong messenger. And this unbelieving world was going to be very offended by this message that gives life. The message is the only message we have that can give life because Satan had twisted everything else around for death. Everything Satan was going towards was leading to death. And then here comes Jesus to say, no, I'm going to change it. I'm going to, I'm going to stop the ship. I'm going to turn it around, and it's going to be offensive, so get ready. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that, cha- does that, does that impact your impression of who you thought Jesus was? Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But we need to be prepared to be offended as we see how Jesus declares a message of God, the message of good news, the gospel, the good news of the gospel. 
is going to come and it's going to upset our apple cart a little bit here. Make no, make no mistake, the, the message is offensive. And we must understand that the enemy would try to convince us that it's not offensive and it doesn't have to be. That's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to say, guys, hold it. It doesn't have to be offensive. You don't have to be offended. And, 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 and why do we have to make the message so radical and so different? Why don't we just be nice to each other and let's just learn to coexist and just get along? Come on. Let's just all be, be, be let's just coexist. You've seen the bumper stickers, coexist. It's a great sounding message. We don't need any of this radical, Jesus is the only way message. We don't need that. Come on, there, there's so many good people out there that are very sincere about their religion and their faith in a higher power. We don't need to, it's, it doesn't have to be all about, about Jesus. This is the devil talking. These people, they're, they're dedicated to their faith. I mean, they're dedicated to Allah or Muhammad. I mean, they'll die for him. They're radical. Or the teachings of Joseph Smith or Buddha or, or whoever. These are people that are faithful people to their religion. Why does it have to be about Jesus? If you're saying that Jesus is the only way, then you're narrow-minded and you're bigoted and you're inclusive and, and you're not really loving people. If you say Jesus is the only way, you're wrong. I mean, isn't that what the message is of the world? Come on. You go and speak, you go and speak Buddha. You go say Allah. They're not going to be offended by that. But you speak Jesus. And what happens? Yeah. All of a sudden, the world rises up. This word Jesus creates a little bit of antagonism in people. It creates a little bit of fire in people because there's power in the name of Jesus and the world doesn't recognize it as power, but they see it as offensive. It's offensive. So with this prevailing mindset of the world, is it any wonder how this very liberal, generalized perception has crept into the church. The same perception has crept into many churches around this country and around this world that we just need the people to come to church and hear some good music and hear a good, well-crafted, positive-thinking message by a really eloquent speaker that we could all understand how much God loves us and He has all these good things in store for us. Just think positive thoughts. Come on. God loves us all. God would never cause pain or suffering. He would just want you to be get along. Come on, folks. We don't need any of this controversy. Let's just accept them all. Same sex. If you're attracted, it doesn't make any difference. Come on, God loves you. Yes, he does love us. But he loves us so much that he's not going to let us stay in that deception of the world because it's creeping into the church. And we need to stand against it and say, no, that's not God's plan. God's plan is not that we have same-sex anything besides let's go hunting together. Let's go fishing together, guys, but let's not get in bed together. God would never cause suffering or pain. And, and don't worry about God. Don't worry about your actions because God loves you so much that he will never send you to hell. And you know what? That's the only time they ever use the word hell, if they ever use it at all, is saying that God will never send you there. Unless they're cussing, of course. So as we get started this morning, I want to talk to you about what the word believe means. What the word believe means in the context of of the offensive nature of the gospel. In the offensive nature of the gospel, what does it mean to believe? Our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 6. I'm reading this in a, in a New King James Version. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner, cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Now, I've been reading a book called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, and some of this information comes from John, and he says this in his book, The Bait of Satan. He says, today the meaning of the word believe has been weakened. 
In the eyes of most, it has become a mere acknowledgement of a certain fact. To many, it has nothing to do with obedience. But in the passage we just read, the words believe and disobedient are represented as opposites. How many times, how many words have we, have we reduced down to the most common denominator and generalized their meanings that they have no effect anymore? I love pizza. I love you, Aubrey. I would die for you, Aubrey, but I will not die for a piece of pizza. But yet I love pizza. Right? So we use words so flippantly anymore that, and I love you too, Jenna. And I would die for you too, by the way. Okay. Just so you know, I'm not picking favorites here. I, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Seriously. John Bevere goes on, goes on to say about, about this word believe. The scriptures exhort that whoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. We all know that verse, right? As a result of the way we view the word believe, many think that all they are required to do is believe that Jesus existed and died on Calvary and they are in good standing with God. If this were the only requirement, the demons would be in good standing with God. James chapter 2, verse 19. Are there still some among you who hold that only believing is enough? Believing in one God? Well, remember that the demons believe this too, so strongly that they tremble in terror. So the demons have no problem believing who Jesus was, right? I mean, they were fallen angels. They saw him in heaven. They saw him come to earth as a baby. They saw him live a perfect life. They saw him die on the cross. They saw him rise again from the dead. They believe in Jesus, but they're doomed for eternal disaster because they cannot receive him. So believing in him is not, just, is not enough. John goes on to say, The word believe has more meaning in the scriptures than acknowledging the existence of or just mentally assenting to a fact. Remaining true to, a, to context of the verse in First Peter that we just read, we can say that the main element of believing is obedience. We could read it this way. There to you who obey, not to you who just believe, but those to who obey, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So from this simple discussion, can we, under, can we better understand that to believe in Christ is so that he becomes our Savior and becomes our Lord ultimately? There's a, he, the progression is Savior and then Lord, not Lord and then Savior. <laughs> you have to be saved first, and then he can become your Lord because now he has ownership. Lordship indicates ownership. And when I'm saved... Now I'm no longer my own. I'm no longer the enemy's. No, my ownership is transferred from the devil to the Lord. And now I, I can call him my Lord now because he owns me. I'm no longer my own. That's why we have to say, we say it Lord and Savior, maybe because it says better that way, but it really needs, it really needs to be, he's my Savior and my Lord. Right? I have to have the order properly. And this comes to an active form of believing, an active form of believing called obedient faith. Obedient faith. So how does this relate to Jesus' message being offensive to the world? Well, for a person that says they believe in Jesus, but not in the active sense of obedience to Jesus, that they proclaim that I know who he is, I know who Jesus is, but they're not really transferring that belief from their mind to their heart yet, that this is going to be an offensive word for them. Because really what you're doing is that you're redefining their definition of believing. They're saying, well, I believe in Jesus, so why are you talking to me about this believing with my heart? It becomes offensive because it, it challenges their actions. It challenges their belief thereafter. See, one may say, I believe in Jesus, and, and if I'm doing that, and if I'm not really believing with my actions, then I'm challenging those words, I'm challenging those actions in a person, and, and it can become offensive to them because they're saying, you're not listening, you're not believing me. Well, I'm kind of looking at your actions, or Jesus is looking at your actions. You know, the fruit of a tree, if, you th if it's an apple tree, you go pick an apple off an apple tree, and if it tastes like an orange, what do you got? 
a problem, right? If it picks an apple tree, you would take that apple off the tree and bite it, you expect it to taste like an apple. Well, a Christian person, you say you're a Christian, you have fruit hanging off your life. Somebody walks up to you by, and, they, and they watch how you live, how you speak, how you, how you act, and all of a sudden you're saying, I'm a Christian, but you're producing oranges, and you say you're an apple tree. Well, there's a disconnect there, okay? There's a problem there. So, yes, you might believe in Jesus, but have you transferred it now to your heart, to your actions? And this is where the enemy comes in because he will bring a challenge to how we, how we receive this offense. We can either receive this offense by saying, wow, you're right. My believing has only been in my mind to this point in time. I've never really allowed this belief to go from my mind to my heart and then control my desire and give me a desire to know God's word so I know how to obey. You can either react that way, which leads to life, by the way, or you can say, no, you don't have a right to judge me. I'm living my life just fine. I'm a good person. You have no right to judge me. Well, can I give you an example of what it means to judge somebody? Herman, can I pick on you? You're a bigger man than I am, so I trust you here, okay? If I walked up to Herman and said, Herman, and I really appreciate you. You're, you're a great guy. I love the way you respect Janine and Ma- Michaela, you know, and, and the way you conduct yourself at work. You, you, I'm, you're a great godly man, uh, Herman. What would your reaction to be to me? Be to me? Probably, well, thank you. I work, I'm working really hard at that. Yeah, give you a few bucks. <laughs> and that would be good. And you would all look at us and say, wow, what a great relationship these two men have because, you know, this great relationship. But if I walked up to Herman and said, Herman, I appreciate you, man. I really love you. You know that, right? Well, Herman, I've noticed a few things in your life that, you know, maybe the way you treat Janine, maybe you're not really, something's not right. Um, or Michaela. Yeah, get him, Janine. And, and maybe some things at work, you know, maybe the things you're living. Um, are you all right? Can I help you with anything? What, what would your reaction be to me there? Should be. But probably what rises up is, well, wait, who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? Well, what really happened there? Did I not just judge him twice? The first time I judged you and you liked it. And he said, well, Thanks. The second time I judged you and you said, oh, who are you to judge me? See, if you were really consistent with that message, who are you to judge me, then when I said the good thing, you should have said, well, wait, who are you to judge me? (laughs) We don't do that because when it sounds good to us, we like it. But when the message, the truth comes out, maybe, we don't like that and we get offended with that. True? So can we not see now how that helps us understand a little bit more about the message of Christ? When the message that Jesus brought, the good news, the gospel of the good news, when it offends me, when it shows me that maybe the path I was on wasn't the right path, I can either choose to to be offended by that and say, well, who are you to judge me? Or I could look at it and say, wow, I uh, appreciate that. So hopefully we can get a better understanding now of how the message that Jesus brings to the world can be considered offensive and how maybe we we should react to it. You've got to remember here that Jesus is the bearer of a whole new message that the world has never heard before, and it brings a complete change of reversal, a complete change of thinking. You know, the ship was going down this path at full speed, and now the, to, to, to stop that ship is going to take a lot of effort, a lot of effort to reverse the course of that ship because of all the momentum pulling that ship down, the, down that channel. It's got to reverse the engines, and it's got a lot of work. A lot of, a lot of energy's got to be expended to stop that ship and then turn it around and put it in the other direction. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing here. What was the purpose of Jesus? Why did he come into the world? What was his purpose? Many say peace. Many say love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to bring love to the world, that we could all live together. (laughs) Turn with your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And let's read the biblical why Jesus came to earth. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Do not suppose, this is Jesus speaking, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. 
I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I'm, thank, I'm glad I said daughter-in-law and not son-in-law because my mother-in-law is in here right now. So, A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, I'm not sure how that passage relates to your perception of who Jesus is. I'm not sure how that shakes your philosophy or your theology, if it does at all. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is that the message that Jesus brought from heaven to set men free is a controversial message, and it flies in the face of the world system, and it's going to be offensive. Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. He came to restore the broken relationship between fallen mankind and the Father of Heaven. The message that brings reconciliation first must bring division. Division between the path and the actions of a man once, that a man once followed while thinking he was right to the new path of righteousness and holiness. It's going to create some angst. It's going to create a crisis point. The division will be furthered as life goes on because this new man in Christ, after he has received Christ and after he's, he's accepted his offensive message, it's just beginning with him because now he's going to have to face his old friends in the world. He's going to have to go into this dark world where he once participated with them and now he's going to have to go to them and say, I don't do that anymore, guys. It's going to create more division. It's going to create more controversy. It's going to create more challenge. It's going to create more offense because we've changed. The man that has a new faith in God and his ways will be offensive to his old friends of the world because they just don't get it. They won't understand it. And just as it was first offensive to the new believer, it will be first offensive to his friends. But if he loves them enough, he will offend them for the sake of Christ. Remember, he's offending them not for his own purpose, but for the sake of Christ, because he's got to bring that same crisis point. Every person has to have that same crisis point in their life to make the change from accepting the way they were going to the new direction that they must go if they're going to have eternal life. Every person. This is a huge crisis point. The cross, that thing right there, is offensive to the world. Yeah, we wear it around our necks, don't we? A lot of, lot of jewelry with the, with the cross. But if people really knew what they were wearing, if they really understood what happened there, if they really understood the pain that happened there and the agony and the suffering and the freedom that came, and maybe most of them do that wear it. I'm not, I don't know. Maybe they do. But there's a huge crisis point of the cross, and that crisis point is, is it requires every one of us to choose for yourself, personally, individually, what am I going to do with that cross? What am I going to do with it? Is it just going to be a piece of jewelry to me? Or is it going to be life? First, starting with a big offense. Starting with a big division. Starting with a big change of reversal of my life. How I live, who I live in front of. That's the difference between the wide and the, e and the easy road that's talked about in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse, starting at verse 13. Matthew chapter 7. You can open up your Bible or you can read it on the screen, I believe. Verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now the Living Bible Translation says it this way. Heaven can be entered only through the narrow gate. Listen. Heaven can be entered only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide enough for all the multitudes who choose its easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow, and only a few find it. You know, our world system says we're all going to heaven. And our world system says more people are going to be in heaven, and then there's a few people like Hitler, Stalin, and maybe some mass murderers that are going to be in hell. 
but the rest of us are all going to heaven. That's what we think. That's what the world's culture is, right? But that's not what the Bible says, folks. And I'm not trying to make this harder than what it is. I'm just trying to, read, I'm just trying to give you the truth of what God's Word says. It says only a few are going to find the narrow road. Only a few. Many are going to enter through the wide road, and many are going to go to their, their destruction thinking they're on the right road, thinking all along the way they're on the right road with everybody else because every, misery loves company. Everybody's together. We're walking down the road of life together. We're all doing our own thing, having our own parties, doing our own thing, thinking we're on our way to heaven, only to the day that we get to our eternal destination and we find out that I never knew you. I never knew you. I'm telling you, folks, that is not the time. We sang a song a few minutes ago. Uh, what did it say? Um, about uh, about uh, every knee will bow. What was that song? Help me, Jack. About um, then, uh, maybe. Sing the, sing the words. I can't remember. But I was thinking about it at the time. Boy, I wish I could think better. But I was thinking at the time, thinking, you know, I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to worship the Lord while I have, or it's my choice. I want to bow my knee while it's my choice because the Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But listen, if you have to wait until Jesus forces you to say it, it's too late. Right? I want to say it now while it's my choice and while when I have that choice, it brings me life. <laughs> That's joyful. Come on. I can look at my mom right now. I can look at my mom and not even here today because she's not feeling good enough to be here. And we can have joy in the process because we know, she knows that her eternal life is secure because of her acceptance of Jesus Christ now. Not then, now. And with that, there's peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes, her life can be, she can be having pain, she can, and I feel for that. But you know, when I look a thousand years down the road, this pain will never be remembered. You know, even the first breath in eternity, this pain will never be remembered. It's worth it, guys. It's worth it. But you have to make a choice. That crisis point of your life has to make a choice. It seems that when we look at this passage, that if we're choosing life's path by the sense of ease or difficulty, that, it would, that, it would, that we would easily slide into eternal life. And a difficult way would be too difficult for us. I, I think when we really understand what's going to happen here, I think we have to realize that we're going to face opposition along the way. Uh, last week, I don't know what night it was, I don't know, Wednesday or Tuesday, I, was, I, I woke up. And I, I really like this, and at the same time I don't like it because it impacts my sleep. But I woke up with this image in my mind of a square. And the square represented my life, okay, a little square. And in the life here, this was my day of salvation. This was my eternity. This is where I was safe. This is where I was today, okay. But I saw this square starting to grow, and it started to expand. And every time I'd go around, the square would get a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. And so really what it was is I was, I was expanding my territory. I was expanding my kingdom. The earth, God's kingdom was expanding in my life, right? But here's what happened. Every time I got to the top of my square, there was, in, this, in my image, there was a big, mean pit bull. And every time I got to that pit bull, I would go up to him and I would just kick him. Boom. Kick him right in the guts because that's his territory. That was, he owned that, that was the devil's territory. And every time I expanded the territory, literally I was just kicking him in the gut saying, hey, I'm taking it back. I'm taking this back and I'm, and I'm taking it for the kingdom of God. And what do you think that pit bull do, would do? You think he laid there? No, he'd bark and snarl and try to bite and maybe he even did. See, and that's kind of what it's like when we take back the kingdom of God in our life. Guys, you are going to be kicking a dog. I'm sorry, that's what warfare is. Now, that doesn't mean you go look for a fight. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you can't back away from it either. You can't back, well, you can't say, oh, no, too much pressure there. I'm going to revert back in my little box. See, we're not intended to live in the box of day one salvation. We're not intended, no, we're intended to expand our territory as the prayer of Jabez, right? Expand in my territory and grow and, and expand the kingdom of God in my life and those around me. And every time I go into the community and act like Jesus in the community, what I'm doing is I'm kicking a dog. I'm kicking Satan. Satan, see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm witnessing. I'm telling people about who you are. I'm living my life properly in front of people. You're kicking a dog. And of course, he's going to rear up and he's going to try to bite you and he's going to try to scare you. And he's going to try to intimidate you. 
It reminded me of the passage in chapter 11. Matthew, Matthew wrote in, in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 12, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. It takes a fight. If Jesus was a strong man, it's going to require me to be a strong man. It's going to require you to be a strong woman of God. We are in, we are in a day of open warfare. And if you don't acknowledge that, you've lost already. We are in a day, if Christianity is in a day of open warfare. We are being attacked. And we have to stand strong in our position. We have to stand strong in our corner and know that we have a big God that's a lot bigger than a pit bull, but the, that doesn't stop the pit bull from, from charging. He's going to charge. He's going to bark. He's going to come after me. But I just have to go about life. First Peter 5.8, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's there. The devil is not going to give up his fight. He's not going to give up territory in your life without a fight. You're going to have to go after it. You're going to have to go after those habits. You're going to go after those vain imaginations. You're going to have to go over those, those thoughts in your mind, the, the, the pornography or the, or the lust for money or whatever those things are, whatever those strongholds are in your life. You've got to go after them with a vengeance and say, I'm not settling here. I'm not going to get beat up by here. I'm going to take that back, and I don't care how much it's going to cost me. I'm going to take it back because the kingdom of God is advancing in my life. Forcefully, we have to take it back. So here's what, here's what this is saying. If I'm going to be a productive Christian, living a holy and pleasing life to Christ, one that is bold to share my witness and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus in my life, then know that you're going to be attacked. Know that. Count on it. It's going to happen. But don't shrink back from it. You're going to win in it. You're going to be the victor in it because greater is he that is within me than he that's within the world. So if you've been beaten up a little bit for the sake of the gospel, thank the Lord and keep pressing on. Don't give up. Now, there are some here that say, I, I don't want that option. I, I don't want to have to face the enemy like that. I, I want to have, have a comfortable Christian life. Well, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Because I can't find anywhere in Scripture that says that. I just can't. I, I, can't go, I can't look in Scripture to say that you can be a successful Christian person and not fight. Jesus said the same thing. John chapter 15 John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. Let me read this. Open your Bible. It'll be up on the screen. If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking again. Isn't it amazing when Jesus speaks? If the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as it loves its own people. But I have chosen you to be different. Did you hear that? I have chosen you to be different from those in the world. So you don't belong to the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the lesson I told you, servants are not greater than their master? If people treated me badly, they will treat you badly as well. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours too. They will do to you whatever they did to me. <laughs> what did they do to him? They killed him. Because you belong to me, they don't know the one who sent me. So it's pretty obvious here that the world will be offended by the message of the cross. The world will be offended by the message of the cross. So don't be alarmed by it. Just know it's going to happen and go after it. Doesn't mean you look for a fight, but rest, but rest assured it'll find you. Now, that's the world. But do you know that Jesus even offended his own staff? Those closest to him, the message that Jesus brought even offended them. In today's world, that would seem to indicate that some of Jesus' teaching could even offend those that are already believers and go to church every Sunday. It's getting a little more, cold, a little more personal now, but that's okay. In the following passage, we're going to pick up on a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples after they were following him for a while. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. He had gotten in his boat, went to the other side of the lake, and when he got to the other side of the lake, the crowd that he just fed over on this side of the lake were already, meeting, were already meeting him over on that side of the lake. They had recognized that Jesus had left the building. Elvis has left the building. Jesus had left the building, and they were going to go meet him where he was at. Okay? And this is what happens. This is what Jesus said to them. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 28. 
When they arrived and found Jesus, they said, Sir, how did you get here? And Jesus replied, The truth of the matter is that you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you believe in me. But you shouldn't be so concerned about perishable things like food. No, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that I, the Messiah, can give you. For God the Father has sent me for this very purpose. And they replied, well, what should we do to satisfy God? So they asked a question. Now, if you go for the next number of verses, I don't have time to read it, but I would encourage you to go home and read chapter 6 of John. Go back and read that whole passage, 25 all the way to 66, all right? But in that passage in between, what Jesus is now telling these people is that you must eat of me. You must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. You must give yourself all to me. And he was very graphic about indicating how you must buy into my system. You must, you must actually partake of who I am and, and, and ingest me into your life, okay? Offensive type of teaching. Even the world, he said, he said, as long as you eat of the world system, basically, as long as you eat the way the world eats, you're always going to be thirsty, you're always going to be hungry, you're never going to be satisfied. And, 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 but I'm telling you a different way. And the Pharisees and the other religious leaders that were there, the other religious leaders that were there, they became offended at this teaching and they complained and they grumbled about Jesus teaching a process that was way too hard for them to understand and for them to perceivably even do. Because we're talking about eating flesh. They're not catching the significance here. And even his closest disciples were beginning to question Jesus. Now let's pick it up. John chapter 6, starting at verse 60. Even his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. Who can tell what he means? Jesus knew within himself that his disciples were complaining and said to them, Does this offend you? (laughs) Does this offend you that I'm speaking here, guys? Come on, you're my disciples. Am I offending you? Then what will you think if you see me, the Messiah, return to heaven again? Only the Holy Spirit gives eternal life. Those born only once with physical birth will never receive this gift. But now I have told you how to get this spiritual gift. Jesus basically explained to them how to be born again. And they didn't get it. They were offended by it. Verse 66 of that same chapter. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Jesus just lost a lot of his church. Not seeker-friendly here. Jesus wasn't afraid of men. He told them the truth. Whether or not it kept them in his church or not, it wasn't about his popularity. It was about the truth being spoken so that they would have eternal life. The truth of God's word stands strong and it stands alone and is uncompromised by human questions or human unbelief. John Bevere says this in his book, about this particular passage. Things were already tough enough as it was. The religious leaders were plotting his death. His own hometown rejected him. His family thought he was out of his mind. To add more pressure, many of his own staff members left, offended. But Jesus still still did not compromise. He just told those who were left that they were also free to go if they wanted to. The only thing mattered to Jesus was to fulfill the Father's plan. If he had been left standing alone that day, it would not have changed his heart. He was determined to obey his Father. But Jesus understood what it felt like to have those closest to him become offended by the truth of the message. Remember, the message he was bringing was never to hurt them. It was only to bring them eternal life. The problem is the message requires acceptance without compromise and on the terms of the Father, not in the terms of man. The message must be received without compromise. I can't have it both ways. I can't have the message of the gospel and play in the world. I can't have it. You can't have it. You must have either the message of the Christ, the cross of the Christ, and abandon the world, and love the word, and get in and obey him, or you're compromising. You must be on the terms of God the Father, not on man's. And that's where the problem lies. People all want to go to heaven, but only a few are willing to do what's necessary to get there. We've made it too easy. To, the believe, easy believism is too easy, and it's going to leave a lot of people offended at the end of the day because they believed the wrong thing. 
Are we offended by the message of the truth of God's word? Have you ever been offended by it? Have you ever been offended by it? I hope you have. Because it, it requires the first times you need to be offended by it because that has to create the change. There's got to be a change in your life. Because as you were, I don't care how good you were, as you were in your own goodness, you weren't going down the right path. There had to be a level of offense. There had to be a crisis point at some point in time in your life that said, ah, I need to change. Do we really believe that the message, as difficult as it may seem at times, is never to hurt us, but only to give us freedom and eternal life? Do you believe that? That the message that God brings, the, the, the hard message of the Word of God, is never to hurt you. Never to hurt you. Always brings eternal life. If we're going to face the resistance of this devil that we live in today, and even to the point of persecution by the world that we live in, are we willing to stand the test of the truth in our unwillingness to compromise? Larry, I want to show this little video, and then we'll maybe wrap it up here if we can get the point. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Better than 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on. Keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad at strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. It hurts. And let it burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You're back. You're back. Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't quit! Rock Kelly, you don't 
Now, I know when you watch this that might have got a little offensive at the end. I mean, that coach was really getting in that boy's face, wasn't he? I mean, he was not just standing up. He was down on his hands and knees, right in the kid's ears. Come on, Brock, you can do it. I mean, he was aggressively offending that, little bo- that boy. He was, he, was, he was challenging his manhood. Can you do it? Come on, I can know you can do it. And he was encouraging him. It was offensive, and you could have, that, that boy could have been offended by it and say, I'm out of here, coach. You're offending me because you're egging me on so much. I'm tired of this. But what happened? He he didn't just go to the 50. He went to the end zone. He completed it. So where are we this morning? You could be offended by the coach. Coach Jesus, coach pastor, coach friend, coach accountability partner, whoever that is in your life. You could be offended by that person that keeps egging you on. Come on, you can do better. Come on, I believe in you. Come on, I know you can do more. See, the coach had the perspective of seeing the end zone. He said, 30 more, come on, only 30 more. 20 more, only 20 more, 10 more, 5 more. He had the perception, he had the, he had, he had the, the privilege of seeing the end. Now, Brock didn't. You and I don't have the privilege of seeing the end. We just have to trust the coach. So this morning, you may be a faithful churchgoer, But has your believing progressed from a simple mental or head belief on who Jesus is to a true, he is a son of God. He came to earth on Christmas and he died on Easter to forgive me of my sins. To forgive me of my sins. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to think about this and reflect in your life this morning. Where are you in this believing situation? If it creates angst in you, then thank the Lord it does. But don't, this is not the time to stop. So as we pray this morning, I'm offering the opportunity to any here this morning that want to make sure that you're dealing with this offensive message properly, that you are receiving the offensive offensive message of the gospel of peace in a way that is going to give you eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, this is the moment of crisis points for some of us here, and maybe even for us believers. I feel it in my own heart right now. Even I feel, even I, of course I feel it. I'm no different. I feel the angst. I, I, I feel the, 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 the conviction of the Holy Spirit to never rest in myself, but always to trust in you. So, Father, I pray right now that if there's anyone here that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would today, as the first day, that they would begin the box of their life, the square of their life, that they would know that they have eternity in hand. So this morning, I just want to give anyone with an opportunity this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, and you want to, to or you want to make this a new experience for you, would you just lift up your hand to Jesus and just say, it's me? Okay. All right, amen. Now, for those here that are faithful churchgoers, 
that are faithful. I'm not saying you're bad people. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that there's always improvement to be made. Now, I'm just, and this is where it goes beyond an altar call because this is where you have to take it outside of these doors. Yeah, we could have a big emotional time up here and thank God if we did, that'd be awesome. But it's got to go outside. It's got to go tomorrow. It's got to go through the week. I, I just want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't give up on the fight. Don't compromise with the devil. Don't let him have anything in you because he only wants to destroy you. Don't ever think that he's telling you anything to give you a good thing. He's lying to you. He's a deceiver, and he's going to lie to you, and he's going to destroy your life. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to his obeying his commands. Say yes to following his word. Eternal life. Let's pray one more time. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we just offer ourselves to you now, wholly and completely. Lord, I pray that there would be not one level of compromise in my life or any of us here today. And I just pray, God, your blessing on them. I pray your anointing on them. You love us. You've appointed us to be this for this here today. This message was ordained or appointed to be heard by this group of people today and whoever listens to it in the future. And I pray that your message would go and not be, not be hindered in the name of Jesus. Throughout this week, throughout this day, if this message comes back, if you feel a, a tinge of guilt or a tinge of conviction, more than guilt, conviction, pray. And ask Jesus to forgive you. He hears your voice. He hears your heart. And then go to somebody and tell them what you did. Make it public. Don't be embarrassed of who Jesus is. He wasn't embarrassed of you when he hung in that cross. Now go with us today, Father. Give us a great day. We love you. We praise your name. And go with us in Jesus' name, amen.